Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you that may be visiting or haven't been here in a few weeks, we are continuing on our fall sermon series on Romans 1 through 8. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapters 1 through 8, which is known as, by a number of theologians and commentators, Paul's gospel. And we've arrived at chapter 5, and you'll notice at the beginning of chapter 5, you see this word, therefore. Therefore is a wonderful biblical word that you need to understand the code for therefore. The code for therefore is, I have just discussed this body of material and explained thus far where we've gotten to. And the therefore is the culmination and now the beginning of the application of what I've talked about thus far. That's what the therefore is there for. And if you don't understand the therefore, you're in trouble. Because it's there for a reason. Ah, say that ten times fast. (laughs) But you need to know what's come before, and if you have not been here, I'm going to give you a two- or three-minute background so that you understand, because it's important to know. The rest of you can take a two- or three-minute nap, okay? But what we began with in Romans chapter 1 was Paul talking about creation. And that God has created all of us and everything that is, and that through creation, that we begin to get a sense of God's character and God's power, who he is, and what he desires from us. And then at the end of chapter 1, Paul begins to lay this foundation or this understanding that we have all fallen short of that. And he talks about everyone is without excuse We're saying, well, I didn't really know who God was. I didn't even know if God existed. And, you know, I wasn't sure what he really desired for us. And Paul's saying, no, it's evident to everyone. And then he goes on in chapter 2 to talk about how it's evident to the Jews because God called the Hebrew people, called them out, gave them the law eventually, and so they had the law to guide them. And then he goes on to say the Gentiles, that would be most of us, have been given a conscience. You know, the old line, let your conscience be your guide. Well, that's if your conscience is not corrupt. And most of us have a corrupt conscience because of sin. And so as this continues to unfold and Paul is building his case and he gets to Romans chapter 3, he basically says that the, the conscience can become corrupt. People can misuse, misapply the law. They can become legalistic, which is exactly what happened to the Jews. And so the culmination of chapter 3 says, For none are righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're all in the same place. We're all sinners in need of redemption. That's what he comes to. And then in chapter 4, he gives Abraham as the example. Abraham, who is called by the Jews and, frankly, by Paul, the father of faith. And you'll read in Romans chapter 4, Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. 
Because it was given before circumcision, it was given before the law, and if you will, Abraham was the first Gentile that was called to be Hebrew and began the Hebrew people. So that is a very quick summation. If you want more of a summation to what I just said, get the last four CDs or listen to the sermons online. Because it will fill in many gaps that I've just kind of passed over very quickly. And lest you think that we are above all that and we know better now, just think about the history of the church and how we've fallen into the same pattern. Because the church eventually would get derailed by people who misused and misapplied what Jesus was trying to say. They would use it for their own selfish means. And so heresies began to bubble up in the early church. And then as the church progressed through the next few hundred years, legalism crept in. And people became as if pharisaical in the application of the faith. And then the Reformation happened. In the 1300s through 1500s, there was momentum building that we have a problem here. And the scriptures were translated into other tongues so that people began to read them. And as that happened, people began to come alive in their faith. And the Reformation happened. And the cry of the Reformation was sole fide, which is by faith alone. It's not by works of the law. It's not by believing whatever you want. It's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Sola fide was the cry of the Reformation. And two other cries that came out that also used the word sole in the process was sola gratia, by grace alone. You need to understand that this faith comes from grace, which is what Paul says in Romans chapter 3.25 and onward. So this grace that's poured out is a gift to all of us that we receive by faith. And then, sola scriptura. This is not whatever you want to believe. This is not whatever you want to think about God. This is by the guidance of the Holy Scripture. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so there was this resurgence of this believed and reckoned as righteous. And see, what happens when we come to that understanding is that we're not in this sense of saying, well, it doesn't matter what you believe or it doesn't matter how you live. You know, because so many people in the world believe that. That it really doesn't matter what you believe or it really doesn't matter how you live. Think about it. In the Old Testament that happened with the Jews who were given the faith, who were given God's revelation, who were given the commandments. And by the time you get to, for example, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was trying to call the people to repentance, the false prophets were saying, peace, peace, it's all okay. There's invading armies ready to take down Israel because God was allowing them to because they had disobeyed the Lord and drifted from Him and God wasn't protecting them because of that. They were living into their own folly. And so all the prophets are saying, don't worry about it. We're God's people. We're God's people. I mean, it doesn't matter because we're God's people. And so the false prophets were saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. You know what people say today? The replacement line. It's all good. Right? 
Because that's what everybody wants to believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's all good. It doesn't matter what, how you live. It's all good. Right? That's what most people believe. And that's how they live. You want to believe that about God? It's all good. And then, what happens to us is we say, we're all basically all good. Because it's all good. And it's not true. You may want to believe it. But that's what Paul's trying to say. That's what Jeremiah was trying to say in the Old Testament. That's what the, Re- the Reformation leaders, such as Martin Luther and John Calvin and Thomas Cranmer, were trying to say. That it's not just whatever. What has God revealed in creation? That we've corrupted. What has God revealed in His Word? And the scriptural analogies that Paul uses and are used in the New Testament, three of them might begin to give you this idea. One is, in fact, this is even used in the Old Testament, the analogy of a courtroom. That we are as if before the judge, and the judge declares us guilty. And Jesus steps in and says, I'll take their place. I'll take on myself their guilt, their sin, their failure. Their crime. And they can go free. Or the analogy to a marriage. That we are supposed to be as if married to God and walk with Him every day. And be His beloved. And we say, no, I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And there's a broken marriage and Jesus comes in to bring healing to the marriage. Or it's like the story of the child, the prodigal son. Where you actually have two reactions. You got the reaction of the younger one who rebelled and then decided, you know what, this isn't the best way. I want to go back to the father. And grace is poured out and forgiveness is offered. And the older son, if you will, the legalist, who we're not sure what he does, And all these analogies point to the same thing. That what God is looking for is for us to come back to Him in this saving relationship. He wants to provide, if you will, a secure place. Are you familiar with the term secure place? Secure place, like if you're in enemy territory and you're fighting an enemy in a war and you try to set out this area that becomes a secure place for those who need help, are wounded, where people can get fed or a hospital the secure place or in an embassy when there's danger outside the embassy becomes the secure place we are in a world where we are assaulted by sin assaulted by the temptations of the world assaulted by other teachings that are out there and the question is do you want that secure place because that's what God is offering to you he wants you to experience that peace He wants you to experience that grace and that love. He wants you to have hope, not only for this world and this life, but for eternal life. The three pillars that we keep coming back to in Scripture, faith, hope, and love. And you see them here. 
Because Paul starts talking off with the application of therefore we have peace with God. And then if you get later on in the passage, it doesn't matter through the suffering, through the endurance or the perseverance. That will build character in you. And character, God's character, will help you to know His love and reside in His hope that comes through Jesus Christ. He wants you to know that secure place. He wants to work in you so that you have that confidence. This popped into my mind at the early service, so I'm going to share it here too. And part of the reason is is because my son called me Friday night, and I was just so glad to hear his voice. My son Daniel, and those of you who, who don't know me and know my family won't know this, my son Daniel, which is our second child, our middle child, is in the Army. And Daniel's been uh, through... Uh, he's a platoon leader. He's been through Army Ranger School. He's been to Afghanistan, um, been through Captain's Course, and right now he's at Special Forces Training. And he just came through what's called SEER School. Some of you know what that is. And SEER School, or SEER Course, is Survive, Evade, Resist, Escape. And what this school is about is you go through this program where you're basically as if captured. So they're going to put you through torture. They're going to put you in handcuffs. They're going to put you in prison. And they not only teach you techniques of dealing with all this stuff, they put you through it so they see how you respond to all this stuff. So I won't go into detail of some of the things that he told me, especially since you're not supposed to know about it. But he called me on Friday night. I was so glad to hear his voice when he called that he was back from Sears School. And I said, how was it? He said, Dad. It's the best thing I've done so far. Who is this sick child? I'm talking to him and I'm thinking, I can't believe you just said that. And he said, Dad, it's so cool. He said, I learned how to get, you know, pick a lock and get out of prison and handcuffs. And, you know, it's just so great. And I, and I, and I went through all this stuff. And I got through it all. And you know what? I saw some guys crying. And I, you know, frankly, I just don't understand. What's that about? You know? I mean, he's just a different kind of kid. Okay? Just need to understand that. He comes from his mother's side. (laughs) But anyway, he gets through all this stuff. And you know what I heard in his voice? I have hope for the future. No matter what happens to me. The Lord brought me through it. I'm okay. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And then we have that secure place no matter what happens to us because we know. Like Peter experienced when Jesus was walking on the water. He knew where his secure place was. He reached out his hand for the Lord when he was sinking. He knew. And I wonder if you really understand and know that secure place in your life. If you really understand where it's coming from. Because you can't produce it. Because if you really understand what Paul's talking about, we are justified by grace through faith. Not of your own doing. You can't do it. You can't produce it. 
And what changes is your status and your state. Your status changes. You're now justified. You're now saved, if you will. You've experienced the salvation, the outpouring of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And you are transformed and it changes your state. You know, right now, you are in the state of South Carolina. Tomorrow, presumably, most of you will be in the state of South Carolina. And maybe the next day. See, the question is, what state are you living in? Are you living in the state which is the world? That changes constantly and has no security and certainly doesn't have eternal security. Are you living in the state that comes with God's grace? That comes by faith? That you're not only seeking to have the status, you're seeking to have a changed life where you're now living for Him in everything you do because you're His. That's what the therefore is there for. To explain all of that as you come to this chapter, and see, when you were listening to this chapter, I'm sure most of you are saying, what the heck is he saying? But you need to have that background in order to understand what he's saying in chapter 5. Because then what he goes back to is he talks about, okay, let's talk about this past state that we were talking about. You were weak. You were sinners. You were enemies of God. You were past tense. When Paul came to faith, he was riding high on a horse. He was rising in Phariseeism. And the first thing he experienced was getting knocked off his horse and he was rendered blind. He was weak. When he came to an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus desired for him, he understood he was a sinner in need of redemption. And then as time unfolded and he came to a realization of how he was living his life as a Pharisee, persecuting Christians, he said, I lived as an enemy. Understand this progression. Because really when we understand how we lived before we accepted Christ, understood faith, really received him, that's our state. That's where we live. That we are weak. We can't do this ourselves. We are sinners. Although we like to believe we're all basically good and we're okay. It's the other people that need that. And we actually live as enemies. Because we live separated from Him and we're a terrible witness in the world. We're buying into the world's values. And that's as if living as his enemy. Paul understood this in, in, in a little different way too, in terms of his ministry. I mean, he not only understood this as someone who came to faith, then he understood it as someone who lived in this ministry that he did. First he started off by saying, I'm an apostle, an apostle of Paul to all of the rest of you. He needed to affirm his status. Because he wasn't one of the twelve. He was new in his ministry. And then as he progressed a little bit and got a little mature, it was, I'm a servant. And then as he progressed and got a little more mature, I'm a sinner. 
And then as he progressed and got a little more mature, I'm the chief of sinners. That he came to a recognition more and more of how God's grace had come to him. God's grace had changed him. And he was grateful for the grace. He was overwhelmed and in awe by the grace. And he was being transformed and recognizing more and more of his weakness and his clay feet. And so the progression. See, when we really understand the progression, it's a progression of humility. It's a progression of experiencing God's grace and wanting more of it. Because we realize how inadequate we are. That's what Paul's saying, this state that he lived in. You know, how many of you have seen the Swiffer Sweeper commercial with the older couple? You seen that? I love those commercials. I love that couple. And if you don't know who they are, it's Lee and Morty Kaufman. They're New York, I believe, Jews in their 90s. They're becoming famous doing commercials in their 90s. So there's still hope for you. But, but they get this package on their front porch. And she's so excited about this Swiffer Sweeper that she got. And then she takes it out. And Morty's falling asleep while she's telling him all this. But she starts cleaning the house with this Swiffer Sweeper. And what's her line? I've been living in a fool's paradise. I thought our house was clean. Look at this dirt. In her 90s, she realized she could clean it better. See, that's us. We think we've arrived. At different stages in our lives, I don't need the Lord. I don't need to do it the Lord's way. I can walk on my own. I can handle this. Not a problem. I can believe what I want. See, because I got it together, it's all good. But Paul is saying if you really understand grace, if you really understand faith, you come to a deeper understanding as time goes on more and more of your need. I do. I can't do this without him. And then he brings in another person. He goes back a little further from Abraham to Adam. Adam, who we can all relate to. Eve, who we can all relate to. C.S. Lewis, in the Chronicles of Narnia, talks about sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're all children of Adam and Eve. We've all inherited the trait. The trait being, we're sinners. See, that's the human condition that Paul has been talking about. We all have this desperate need for God. That we're human. We need Jesus. And that's why he brings Adam into the mix to say, look, you know, you can see yourself in Abraham, but you can see yourself in Adam too. You can see yourself in Abraham in terms of you need faith. But you can can see yourself in Adam in terms of you're flawed. You're a sinner. See, it's this global problem. Everybody wants to say that it's the climate that's the global problem. Some people want to say it's terrorism is the global problem. Some people will want to say the economy is the global problem. You know what the global problem is? It's sin. 
Bottom line. That's the global problem. It's the human condition that we've inherited from Adam and Eve and we live into. And God wants to change us. By the power of His Holy Spirit, He showed us the gift of the cross. He wants to make us into a new people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God's holy people, God's chosen people. Separated. Different. He wants to make us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5. That through Christ we become a new creation and then we bring the reconciliation to the world. Because we're a changed person and we want to share that change with other people. And there's only one person that could have brought this. That's what Paul's laying the foundation for. There's only one person. See, there's the two firsts. The first first is Adam. Adam who brought sin into the world that we all live into. It's the human condition. The second first is Jesus Christ. One man's trespass, one man's obedience. That Jesus being fully God and fully human brought what we needed, this perfect sacrifice for our sin on the cross, in our place, so that we might find salvation and healing and transformation. That's what he's saying. And when he writes the Philippians, which that letter comes later, in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about how Jesus came, emptied himself, humbled himself, became a servant. To even death on a cross. So that he becomes our Savior and our Lord. He's highly exalted at the right hand of God. And he intercedes for us. And then you know Paul does after he does that. After he names Jesus Christ as the key. And what Jesus did. Philippians chapter 3. He goes on this kind of autobiographical. How he used to see himself as righteous. He lists eight qualifications of being the best of the best of the, of the Jews. He's a Benjaminite. He's a Hebrew born of Hebrews. He speaks the Hebrew language. He was in the school of Phariseeism. He was perfect in the law. He lists all this stuff. And then he says, I count it all as refuse for the sake of the gospel. Or, I like the King James Version, dung. For the sake of the gospel. We have a need. And Jesus Christ is the answer for that need. Paul, four times in this chapter, says, How much more? How much more? You know, we so often listen to the how much more that the world has to offer. The things, the success, the money, the pleasure. All that this world has to offer. And without the Lord, it will all amount to nothing. See, what Jesus is trying to take us to, what Paul is trying to take us to in presenting this gospel, is from being justified to being sanctified to being glorified. He's trying to take us from justification to glorification. He says you are justified by faith, 
by grace. God's grace that we receive by faith. And justification means we are being made righteous through the blood of Christ washing over us. Made whole, made pure, restored in our relationship with God and able to have love relationships with other people now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sanctified, that we are becoming holy, which is what sanctified means. That we're becoming more and more like Christ. And then one day we will be glorified with Him for all eternity. You know, I have read and I've actually used in a memorial service or a funeral something that I read uh, a few years ago. It's called The Dash. Anybody familiar with The Dash? It's really kind of a neat thing. That if you were to go to a tombstone, you were to see the date of birth, and then you would see The Dash, and then you would see the date of death. And the question comes with the person who wrote this, what do you do with the dash? What do you do with the dash? I want to modify it. The first date is the date when you really understand. You really come to faith and understand that Jesus came to be your Savior and wants to be your Lord. Because that's when you really come alive. That's when you're able to have the how much more. And then the dash becomes the process of being sanctified. See, we're saved. Salvation's talked about in three ways in Scripture. Salvation that is justification, saved from the penalty of sin. <clears throat> then sanctification, you're saved from the power of sin. And then glorification, you're saved from the presence of sin. That's the three types of salvation that Scripture talks about. The process. It's not just a one-time thing. So the dash that comes in between coming to know Christ and the date of our death is the dash of our process of sanctification, of coming to know Jesus more and more and loving Him more and more and appreciating His grace more and more, and being filled with His Spirit more and more, and learning what it means really to follow Him, to walk with Him, to bless the lives of those around us. And then the, our date of death, and then the dash on the end, because this is really two dashes. The dash on the end doesn't have an end date, because it's eternity. And the question is, where are you spending eternity? Because it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Eternity comes because we're walking with Him now. And we'll walk with Him on into eternity. See, most people want to take a shortcut. Or they want to take their own way. But we are all in the human condition. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And the only way that we experience the how much more is by not only coming to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus came, but to receive that truth by faith. And to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and change us. Because this is not just about a decision. It's about a changed life.
Do you want the how much more? Do you want the how much more for yourself? Do you want the how much more for those around you? I do. And I pray that you come to that understanding. That you're filled with His grace. And you become an instrument of His grace in the lives of others. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we were first born as children of Adam and Eve. And we all share the human condition. And Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to deal with that condition. To provide for us a secure area in a world that believes what it wants and lives how it wants. You call us into a relationship that comes by faith. Lord, we come to you this day thanking you for the grace that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Your lavish gift that you gave us by his sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would know the truth of their own lives that they would take an honest look. For those that have never really come to that place of accepting you, that they would know this grace and know this saving faith, that they might be justified. Lord, for those that have acquiesced to the world and begun to sink, as Peter did when he took his eyes off you, that you would restore their focus, that you would fill them with your spirit and they would be transformed by your grace. And Lord, that all of us, all of us would seek the how much more that comes by knowing you, the how much more that comes by growing in the knowledge and love of you daily, of serving you and reaching out to others so that they might know the how much more. Lord, this day, pour out your Spirit on us. And we thank you for the gift that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.